All right, how are we doing tonight? Hey, uh, my name is Miles. I'm uh, one of the pastors at the church here. I'm so excited to be here with you. Uh, uh, this ministry has always been really near and dear to my heart. Um, I actually, uh, my wife and I uh, started the college ministry at 12 Stone uh, Church. This ministry, we started it 15 years ago in my living room with five people. Uh, and uh, so it's so cool to see what God has done with all of you. We, we, uh, it became Water's Edge, and then I got, kind of got out of it, and now you guys are C12. I hope uh, you love this ministry, because I love this ministry. Austin asked me uh, to come speak for him. I think he's on a mission trip. Is that right? Yeah. All of you know where Austin is. Um, so he's on a mission trip. Where's he going? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I don't know. I have nothing to say about that. Um, so... Uh, uh, Austin's in Kenya. He asked me to speak. He actually asked me to speak on prayer uh, to you guys. And so uh, I can tell you that I was excited that he asked me that because if I had one night to talk to a bunch of college kids about anything, uh, I would want to talk about prayer. So that's where we're going. I'm just going to give five truths about prayer. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to fulfill what around here is kind of the pastoral obligation uh, because it seems like whenever a pastor talks about prayer, somewhere in the message they have some really cheesy little kid prayers. And so I brought my little uh, cheesy little kid prayers. You guys want to hear them? Yeah. All right, some of you do. These are like dear God prayers that are, are just meant to be funny. They're kind of cheesy, but bear with me. Uh, first one is this. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Um, <laughs> right? All right, you guys are easy to please. I like that. Um, Dear God, it would, it would be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Dear God, I love Christmas and Easter, but could you please put another holiday in the middle? There's nothing good in there right now. <laughs> Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I grow up, but without so much hair all over. My favorite is this one. Dear God, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. Isn't that good? That's good. That's good. I like that. Well, that's my duty to just have some, some lame uh, uh, kids' prayers. So uh, I want to talk to you about just five truths about prayer. Uh, now, when I was the college pastor in this church, the college students were a bunch of note takers. Is that still true of you guys? Yeah. All right. So uh, I was kind of counting on that. So um, you brought your computer. Good for you. Um, so... Uh, Go ahead and get out something to write on, something to write with. We're going to do five truths about prayer that I think God is going to use uh, to change your life. And all these truths emerge from a very important place in the Bible. Uh, it's the conversation that the disciples had with Jesus uh, during the Last Supper. So in, in, you know, there are four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, that... Uh, uh, is you know, uh, when they write about the Last Supper, they write about communion and how Jesus instituted communion. But, but in the Gospel of John, which is just a little bit, he's always a little different than the other guys, uh, John writes about what Jesus said to them while they were there at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus left them, and he knew he was going to leave them. Uh, and so, you know, imagine if you, if you had to talk to your friends one last time before you were leaving, what would you say? Because Jesus talked to his friends about prayer. 
He talked about a lot of things, but the theme that keeps coming back is prayer. And these five truths come out with that. What Jesus really wanted to do was he wanted to challenge them. He wanted to create a discontent in them for their prayer life. And then he wanted to inspire them to go to the next level and give them some practical ways to do that. And as I've been praying for you, I've been praying exactly that, that you would, no matter whether you like pray all the time or you've never prayed, that you would just have kind of a discontent. You would walk out of here and go, you know what? I don't like where I'm at. Because listen, you never change to a better place till you're, till you're fed up with where you are. Isn't that true? Amen. You never get better till you're sick of where you are. Amen. And so, so I am praying that you would walk out of here going, dang it, I could be better at this. And second, that you would be inspired. Because the possibilities of prayer are unbelievable. And what you're leaving on the table by not going to the next level in prayer is a big deal for you. And finally, that you would have some practical steps of exactly how to go to the next level. That's kind of my hope in my prayer. That's uh, what I've been uh, praying for you. So let's dive in. Five truths right out of uh, that passage. It's John. If you're you know, opening your Bible, it's John 14, 15, 16. We'll start in John 15. Here's the first truth. Prayer is your relationship with God. Say that with me. Prayer is your relationship with God. Now like you mean it. Prayer is your relationship with God. Prayer is talking with God, right? Whether you're like writing it in your journal or actually verbally talking or uh, you're in a group or you're all alone, prayer is talking with God. I think we all kind of get that. Prayer is also God talking to you. Whether it's in the Bible, like you ever have a verse of the Bible stand out to you? Where the Holy Spirit, by the way, it's all a setup. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired you to read the Bible. And the Holy Spirit called out the little verse. It's it's all a setup. Because God wants to change your life. And and God will speak to that. Or God will just give you like, you know, maybe through a friend. You ever have like three people say the same thing to you in a day? Or something like that, where God starts talking to you through things like circumstances or people or just maybe something inside of you. Uh, Prayer is not a a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. It's a relationship. Prayer is your relationship with God. It's not part of your relationship. It's not one aspect of your relationship. It is your relationship. It's your whole relationship with God. That's a big deal. You're not in a relationship with God because you believe in Jesus or because you go to church, or because you're trying to be a good person. Those things don't put you in a relationship. What a relationship is, is a dialogue. Prayer, the dialogue, you talking to God, God talking to you, is the relationship. Now, when I was was a kid, like second grade, okay? In second grade, uh, I was sitting in class, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I don't know why, but this girl, Julie Pio was her name. I still remember Julie Pio. Um, it's a great name. Yeah. Julie Pio said, uh, for some reason, she said, oh, I like Miles Welch. Um, and in the class, and it got really super awkward for me, right? I like Miles. And so I'm, suddenly I'm like, weirded. I'm second grade. I don't know what to do with the, with the girls having a crush on me. And so she, uh, she literally has her friends come over to me and ask if we want to go out, or whatever kids do in second grade. I don't know what kids do. It wasn't marriage, but it wasn't nothing. 
We were something. And I said yes. And so, but then she scared me more because I don't know what to do. So I never, I avoided her. We never talked. And a week later, she sent her friends back to break up with me. Listen, we never talked. I've never talked to Julie Peel in my whole life. Here's my question. Were we in a relationship? No. No. We weren't because you can't be in a relationship and not talk to somebody. You can't. Prayer, talking to God, God talking to you, is the relationship. It's the whole relationship. My wife and I have now been married 21 years. Right? Okay. Unexpected, but yeah, it was hard. Harder for her than for me, I'm sure. Um, my wife and I have been married 21 years. Okay? Our relationship is not the fact that we got married. Our relationship is the dialogue that we have together. It's the dialogue. It's the fact that my wife and I have coffee together every morning. All the girls are like, no, no, I just like coffee and she's there and we talk. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, the dialogue that we we talk every morning. When I get home from work or she gets home from work, we have a time together. My wife and I have, since we got married, we've had a date on Fridays that we've kind of held true. When the kids went off to school, the date started at 9 and ended at 3 because that's when our kids were at school. And so we saw matinee movies like crazy. We knew everything about every movie before anyone else. And listen, the dialogue, her talking to me, me talking to her, that's not part of the relationship. That's not an aspect of the relationship. That's the relationship. You, the dialogue is the relationship. So prayer is not an aspect of your relationship with God. It is your relationship with God, which means if you don't pray, you don't have one. You see that? If you don't pray, you don't have one. Because it is, listen, there's a lot of marriages where they're married, but they're not in a relationship. Isn't that true? And there's a lot of Christians that they're Christians, but they're not in a relationship. Because without dialogue, there's no relationship. It's not part of it. It's the, it is it. It's what it is. You get it? This is what Jesus is talking about in John 15, 5. It'll be on the screen there. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is telling disciples that like, what it means to remain in him is to keep coming back to relational rhythm with him. Keep coming back to spending time, to having a dialogue with him. In short, Jesus is telling them to keep praying. That's what he's saying. Keep praying. You got to keep coming back. You got to keep talking to me. You got to keep letting me talk to you. Because God, God is a person. God is a person, not an entity, not a creative force. A person, and like any person, a relationship with him can be cultivated. And it can be grown through dialogue, through conversation, and through time. Now, I want to get practical because I said I, I wanted to give you like steps. Um, are you guys with me, by the way? Yes. All right. All right, I want to give you some steps on, like, what does that mean? Well, I think it depends on where you are. How do you have a relationship with God? How do you start a dialogue? I think here's the first, uh, the, like, starting place. And I, I have four, and again, it might be worth writing down. Number one, if, you don't already, if, you, if you're not already here, practice God's presence. 
Practice God's presence. It sounds mystical, but it isn't mystical. All it means is that come to the realization that God is not a, a back there, way, you know, far away at another time God. God's a right here, right now God. God is right. Practice God's presence. Come to the realization that God is in this room like any of us are in this room. He's here. And the Bible would tell us that all of God is here. We don't get like his ear, ear and his like toe. We get all of them. And every place gets all of him all at once. That's what it means to be God. God is fully present here like he's fully present everywhere else, which means you're not interacting with the God of back then and the God of over there. It's the God of right here right now. That's step one. You just have to, you have to come to realize God is here. If you're going to have a relationship with him, he has to be here. And, he's, and he is here. The Bible would say he is here. That's the, that's the first, I, I think, step. If you haven't started there, then, then that's where you start. The second uh, would be this. Talk to God like he's here because he is. Talk to God like he's here. Talk to him about normal things. Talk to God about everyday normal things. What do you got going on in, in your life kinds of things? God, I wish I had a girlfriend. God, thank you for the girlfriend. God, help me end this crazy relationship with this crazy chick. Right? You're in one of those three stages of life, right? God, help me what to do next with my life. God, I need financial help. God, I'm just wrestling through stuff. I don't know why, but I'm having a down day. Can we talk about it? Talk to him about normal stuff. What's in your heart? What's in your life? What are you doing? If it helps, write it down. Some people write down uh, their prayers because it keeps them from being distracted. Great. Sp spend a few minutes every day talking to God. Have morning coffee with God like I have morning coffee with my wife. A couple minutes. Spend time with God. You do not have a relationship with God if you do not talk to God. Do you see that? Uh, second, a uh, third, if you, if you already practice his presence, already talk to him, third, listen, like God is talking, because he is. I think most of us get stuck here. Listen like God is talking, because God has things to say to you, too. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. And when you open the Bible, don't open it to read it. Open it to hear God. The Bible is not like other books. Other books are reading what the author said. The Bible's reading what God has to say to you personally, the Holy Spirit translating it into your life. Re read it differently. God has things to say to you. Listen to circumstances. Listen to people. Practice his presence. Talk to him. Let him talk to you. The last thing I'd say is this. If you already listen, if, if God's already saying things, then obey what God tells you. That's, that's part of your relationship with God. Because listen, if you stop obeying God, then God starts talking about your disobedience, and that's all God wants to talk about. You notice that? And you're like, God, I'd love to talk about this thing over here. And he's like, well, I would rather talk about this over here. And suddenly your whole relationship with God becomes revolving around the one thing you won't do. And, and what happens to people is they stop talking to God because they don't want to change. And that's how people walk away from a relationship with God. Listen, God doesn't tell you what to do or give you things to go do so that you would consider it. 
God gives you things to do because you've already decided before you know what it is, you will follow God. Before you know what it is, God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. God's not talking to you so you have options. God's talking to you because you're in surrender. That's part of your relationship with God. And, and listen, prayer is not part of the relationship. Prayer is not an aspect of the relationship. Prayer is your relationship with God. That's the first thing we learn from uh, this scripture. You ready for number two? All right, here's number two. Prayer changes your life. It just, it changes your life. Say it with me. Prayer changes your life. Say it again. Come on now. Prayer changes your life. Let's go back. I want to read uh, the verse we already read and the one right before it because uh, we have something to learn about it. Uh, go ahead and uh, throw that verse up on the screen. Remain in me, talking about prayer, as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. Fruit is like becoming like Christ. You cannot become like Christ on your own. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Not maybe, not sometimes, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Huge truth. This verse gives us insight where most Christians mess up, in my opinion, more than anything else. As I've done college ministry forever and other ministry, I, I just, I see Christians fail in, in exactly what this verse wants to teach us, and I'll explain. I would say that most Christians don't understand what uh, Jesus is talking about, and here's what I mean. Most people, uh, Christians I know, they want to live like Jesus, and they don't know how to live like Jesus. They want to, and they don't know how. They see, they, they see that Jesus is loving, and they see that Jesus is compassionate. They see that Jesus is courageous, and they go, I want to be like Christ, and so what they do is they try to be like Christ. And it might work for a season, but then something inevitably happens where you fail or we fail, and then we get discouraged, cycle in some weirdness for a second, and how we get out of that weirdness is we muster some strength and we try harder. We just try harder. And that lasts for a little while, and then something weird happens, we run out of strength, and then we cycle in some weirdness, and how we get out of it is what? Muster up some strength, try harder. And you can see this, oh my gosh, in people who really want to live like Jesus, because they constantly will like make these huge radical commitments to God. I'm going to like never sin again starting now. You're like, okay, like, good luck. Like, I want to follow you around, right? Um, <laughs> or like, hey, I'm going to pray seven hours every day from now on. And then it falls apart, and then they cycle in weirdness, and then they make some other crazy dumb commitment to get out of the weirdness. And then they cycle it again. Does that feel a little familiar? Oh, my gosh. Everyone I know, uh, basically most people I know who really, really care about living like Jesus, that's how they're living. And it's because they don't understand what Jesus is talking about in this verse here. That's, 
that it, it, and I, 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 would, I would guess some of you have been cycling in this so long that you give up trying. And you just start to settle into a mediocrity in your faith. Well, I'm not going to do that again because I don't know what to do, but I ain't doing that. that is, I'm tired of, tired of trying and failing. Tired of trying and failing. Tired of committing to something and it doesn't work out and I try recommit, re, you know, harder. And if you're here, I, I would say maybe the problem isn't that you lack strength. None of us have strength in and of ourselves to live like Jesus. He said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And that's what you're experiencing. That's what you're experiencing. Nothing. Because that's, try harder is not the answer. Okay? You got to catch that. Oh, man, you got to catch this. Christianity is not a faith that's about try harder. Okay? Where you just cycle ups, you have your ups, you have your downs, you have your ups, you have your downs. That's, that's try harder. Christianity is about draw nearer. Not try harder, draw nearer. You don't change your life, God changes your life. You draw near God, and he changes your life. And if you don't like where you're at, and if you're looking at, man, I'm just not like Christ like I want to be, the answer isn't, well, I just better get some strength. The answer is, I better get closer to God. Because if, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing, but if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. And most of us don't understand. Wait, I, I'm telling you, this is so, we're so messed up. Uh, uh, here's an example of how this is super mainstream, okay? You might not like me after this, and I still like you, though, so who cares? Um, so there's a, uh, remember the, and maybe some of you have the what would Jesus do bracelets? Right, yeah, okay, yeah, what would Jesus do? This is, listen, this is really bad theology. Because what, the Jesus, what would Jesus do bracelet, the whole thinking behind this is, well, I should wear this bracelet, and whenever, you know, I'm doing anything, I should look at it and go, I should try to be more like Jesus. I got to, what would he do? I got to try to do what he would do, right? Listen, how is that changing your life? That's terrible theology. That's terrible theology. The reality is if you draw near God, he changes your life, and then you could just do what you would do because you're actually like Christ. It's not, it's not try to be like Christ. It's I'm actually like Christ because he changed me. Listen, try harder only leads to frustration and failure. It only leads to frustration and failure. Draw nearer. Draw nearer is always the answer. Prayer changes your life. Prayer can change you. Oh, man. And let me just say a couple, can I say a couple more things about this? All right. All right. Prayer only, prayer only changes your life because prayer is how you draw near to God and nearness to God becomes likeness to Christ. Okay. Might be worth writing down. Nearness to God becomes, and I just picked out some big words, to Christ. Sorry. Bear with me. Uh, nearness to God becomes likeness to Christ only. There is no other path the Bible offers for likeness to Christ than nearness to God. 
If you're trying it on your own, you're doing what the Pharisees did. They were trying to follow a bunch of rules and a bunch of things to be like Christ. They just weren't in a relationship with God that made them like Christ. So they put on their holiness. They weren't holy. So nearness only becomes likeness. It's the only way, and, and, and just as important, nearness always becomes likeness. Always, every time. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Not you might, not you could, not who knows. Some do, some don't. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit every time. You can test yourself. You want to know how close to God you are? It's not how close you feel like you are. It's how much you're like Christ. Do you want to know if you had an encounter with God? Well, did it change you to be more like Christ? Because if you remain, you always become more like Christ. And this is God's only plan to change your life. There's no other plan. And it works every time. Uh, One of the things, you guys with me? You catching this? All right. So um, I used to do this, okay? It's wrong um, and awesome. But I used to do this uh, uh, when I was newer to the church, to the church here. Um, we have this awesome ministry called Pastor on Call. And what Pastor on Call means is you can call down to the church, and if you just click the right buttons, you'll end up talking to a live pastor. In the, because, and that's how you know, people call. It's a great way that we serve people in need that need instant help, and, and we do a lot of cool things with it. Also, it's a great opportunity to pretend to be somebody uh, and t- talk to one of the pastors that I happen to know, right? Because I work here. And so, oh my, you can have some fun with this, as you can imagine. You should try it. Don't, please don't try it. Um, <laughs> So I, so I would call down to the church when I knew that the pastor on call guy was my, like my buddy. And then I would pretend to be somebody in need. In a, but a very vague spiritual need. Like I'm just not feeling close to God these days. Very vague. That's so like, well, I don't know. You know? And, and this is the game I would play. You guys with me and what I'm doing? Okay, this is wrong. Don't do it. But this is what I used to do. Okay. I used to play what I called stump the pastor. And all it means is whatever they, whatever, I'm going to say some vague thing that needs help, and whatever they tell me to do, all I'm going to say is, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. <laughs> and I'm just going to see where it goes. Oh, man. This is a party. Okay. This is a party. Uh, so at first, they're saying some very normal things. Well, you should, you know, read your Bible, and you should pray. Well, I tried that. Man, it just doesn't work. Well, you, you should join a small group and, you know, consider serving and blah, 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 go to church every, I tried that, you know, and so, so the, you could feel them starting to go, huh, and then they start, like, saying, rand, like, well, you should go in the desert for 40 days <laughs> and fast and levitate for a while or whatever, you know, they're just, like, making, you can just feel, they're making stuff up, and when they get done, yeah, I tried that, man. I did the desert thing. I was out in the desert. It just didn't work. And then I would like, because I, you know, I know where they, I know where this person is. I would just be outside the room watching them unravel. And then I got to go save them because you don't want to break some pastor because that's, that's, and here's, here's, here's where I learned to play this game. I've talked to so many people who that's their real life. 
God can't change me. I've tried everything and it doesn't work. Listen, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's, the, listen, just, I, I hope you catch this. The Bible offers no real hope for life change except prayer. None. The Bible doesn't offer you any hope to change your life except be near God. It's the only thing the Bible's offering you. If you're near God, you'll become like Christ, and that's your hope. And, and not only is it the only thing, it always works. It always works. When you draw near to God, it changes your life every time. Maybe not how you wanted, maybe not in a way that you can see, but every time. And so let me just say some things to you. God, God can change what you do. If you got habits and things that, that you're like, man, I have to figure out how to not be this or, you know, be doing this, you can. Yeah, sure you can. If you draw near, you'll become like Christ. Don't try harder. Draw nearer. God can change your desires. God can change what you want to be more like what Christ would want for you. Do you know that? Not just your behavior. God can change what you want, your motive. And let's just be real honest. God can change what you are. He can change what you are. There's tons of times in the Bible where God literally says, you used to be called this, now you're called this. Changes their identity, what they are. Nearness becomes likeness. You can become more like Christ if you will just draw nearer to God. That's what prayer offers you. And that's what Jesus was saying to the disciples because it would change their life, and he knew it. It's a big deal. You with me? All right, let's go to number three here. Number three, prayer unlocks God's power. Prayer unlocks God's power. Oh, man, this is, this is uh, so cool. I, um, let's uh, do the verse here on the screen. Oh, actually, you know what? Time out. Say it with me. Prayer unlocks God's power. Sorry, my bad. I missed it. Um, John 14 says this. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Okay, this is, again, Jesus talking to the disciples at the Last Supper. Hey, by the way, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son... Maybe glory to the Father, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus doesn't say it in, the, in the, the course of the night, what is recorded. He doesn't say this just once. He says this in various ways five more times. In John 14, I will do whatever you ask in my name. John 15, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Again, until now, you've, only, you've not asked for anything but ask and you will receive. And finally, in that day, talking about when I leave, ask and it will be given to you. Prayer, I mean, prayer changes things. Oh my gosh, prayer unlocks the power of God. Uh, our senior pastor, Kevin, says this, I think it's an Ian Bounds quote, that God moves mountains and prayer moves God. God moves mountains and prayer moves God. When you ask God, he can move a mountain. And I'm convinced if we understood this, oh man, we would be blown away by what God is really offering us. I think this is better illustrated than explained, uh, to be honest. I just want to share with you some stories from my life of God uh, answering prayers. Um, and, and the first two are kind of just, I, I thought like, 
huh, when I was in college or around college age, what were some of the things God was doing in my life uh, where he was answering prayer? So I, so I have a couple. It was about a year into my faith, I became a Christian in college. I felt called to minister. I felt called to minister right away, but I suddenly, like, I realized I was supposed to go to a, a Bible college. Actually, this is what happened, okay? This is not in my notes, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but here we go. So I was like the, I was like the new Christian radical guy, right? You ever have that? You know what I'm talking about? I was like way too intense. I used to stand up in the college ministry and be like, you guys, people are going to hell. What are we doing? We got to go reach them. We got to go reach them. I, I was so annoying. Um, I was that annoying new Christian. Uh, and, and so I had made up in my mind I was going to hitchhike around the country telling people about Jesus. Uh, so my bags were packed, and I went to breakfast um, and, uh, with uh, my mentor, a guy named Byron, who for whatever reason decided to mentor me. And he sat down with me. He said, I, I wanted to be radical uh, for God, uh, which isn't helpful. It's just radical, right? And, and uh, I wanted to be radical for God. And so I wanted to hitchhike around the country. I don't know, homeless for Jesus. I don't know what I was doing. Um, so so uh, he sits me down for breakfast and he says, Miles, your plan is stupid. And I hope you can hear me. Uh, like there's a reason becoming a pastor is like the normal way to like help people in ministry. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so he told me I should go to Bible college. And I don't know why, because I listened to nobody and tell them, but I listened to him and I, and I decided to go to Bible college. And I got all my money together and I was, uh, I was $1,500 short for the Bible college in my town, which was the only one I knew of. And so at this, uh, you know, at this place in my life, I was uh, $1,500 short. I said, God, listen, if you want me to go to Bible college, then you're gonna have to provide $1,500. And if you provide, then I will know. Let's see what you can do. And uh, it, one week left until I had to have the money or I wasn't going to be in Bible college. I went to uh, this other church's youth group. Now, some of you would say I was following the Holy Spirit. Others of you might say there was a girl there that I wanted to know. Um, either way, either way, it's irrelevant. Um, uh, I went to this other ministry, and the pastor walks up on stage and says, I have a $1,500 scholarship for the school I wanted to go to, who wants it? And it's like my first two minutes in the group. Like, I'm not going to raise my hand, right? So I say nothing. And I wait till after the whole thing. Uh, and I'm helping this guy clean up at the end of the night. And I said, hey, man, what'd you do with that scholarship? He said, well, no one wanted it, so I threw it away. And I said, well, if no one wants it, I'll take it. And he said, okay. So we literally walked to a garbage can. And out of the garbage can, he pulled $1,500 confirming my call into ministry. Prayer unlocks the power of God. God can provide for you. Some of you are like, your calling came out of a garbage can. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Listen, the walls in your life are not walls. They're just opportunities to pray. With my God, I can scale a wall. Second story. I met my wife in Bible college a couple months later. Um, actually, the first week of Bible college, I met her, and she dug me, right? I mean, you can see it. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, so, like, wrong. So, you guys didn't like that at all. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought we had, never mind, we didn't. Um, so, uh, she, she was into me, and I was not. Uh, yet into her. Um, and so um, my wife literally started praying that God would direct our affections. 
which God did, but he directed me to a girl named Joanne. Um, no, I'm not done. I'm not done. Okay. So, that, so uh, it was about November. Me and Joanne, uh, I was going to take her to the Marine Corps ball because I was in the Marines and we had the ball and I was going to take her to the Marine Corps ball. And, and uh, that Wednesday, Joanne got back together with her old boyfriend. And so I was out with a date for the ball. What I didn't know is Jen heard I was going with jo- Joanne. She had been praying that God would direct our affections the whole time. And Jen prayed Thursday. Okay, you have to catch this. Jen prayed Thursday. God, if you don't do something today, today, then I'm done praying for this guy. Uh, because he's like, it's weird. He's going with someone else to a b- thing. Well, she didn't know that Joanne got back together. I bumped into her at chapel on Thursday, the day she prayed that prayer, and I said, Jen, I'd love to take you to the Marine Corps ball. I'm just a product of my wife's prayer life. <laughs> I am. This is as good as she can pray. <clears throat> um, there's going to be a lot of, like, people praying, God, direct their affection. You can, like, there's going to be a lot. That's going to be the prayer. God's like, what happened in Lawrenceville? Jeez. Prayer unleashes the power of God. All right. I chose those two stories because they were like your age stories. Uh, I want to tell you another one because I was the college pastor. And let me tell you, uh, when I started the college ministry here, it seemed like a good idea. But when I started, there wasn't a college in town, really. There was, does anyone remember Georgia Perimeter? Whew, Georgia Perimeter. It was a two-year commuter school that had nothing going for it as far as ministry. As far as me wanting to like reach people for Christ, people would come and leave. There was nothing to do. So me, my friend that I did ministry with, and one of the elders of this church, we made an agreement that every time we drove by Georgia Perimeter College, we would pray that God would turn it into a four-year school and that God would put dorms there so that we could reach people for Jesus. We prayed that for three years till I read a newspaper article about Georgia Gwinnett College. We did. We did. Um, and I was so pumped to read that article. I was talking to uh, one of the uh, leaders of the college, and he was telling me about how, you know, man, the city, the, this is the first time in 100 years that the uh, state of Georgia has funded the development of a college. It's unheard of, but they don't even know why they did it. And I'm like, I know why. And, and, uh, um, and he told me, we just are bringing kids here to educate them, and that's what this whole thing's about. And I said, let me tell you my story. And I told him about the prayer, and I said, actually, God is bringing your school here because God wants to bring college students from all around so that they can hear about Jesus from the ministry that I lead down the street so that they could become Christians. That's why this is all happening. Um, and uh, he looked at me like I was crazy. Um, but we've seen about five. Uh, when I got done uh, a few years ago being the college pastor, we had, uh, went back and we estimated about 500 people came to Christ in this ministry through uh, Georgia Gwinnett College. Yeah. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we leave so much on the table because we don't ask big enough. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to instantly be aware that you didn't dream big enough, you didn't want big enough, you just didn't hope big enough, you didn't ask big enough. Oh, man, prayer unleashes the power of God. Don't pray prayers that are as big as you. Pray prayers that are as big as him. Number four, 
Prayer reveals your desires. Say it with me. Prayer reveals your desire. It does. It's what it does. So Jesus had taught them about prayer, okay? Then Jesus, you know, went to the cross, died, came back to life, and ascended into heaven and was gone. And his teaching on prayer had a profound effect on them. He, he, the last thing he said to them essentially was wait for the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to do unbelievable things. The revolution starts when the Holy Spirit comes. And, and uh, so he's telling them to wait. And this verse in, uh, in Acts, now the book of Acts, kind of continues the story. Uh, read it. They all join together constantly in prayer. They all join together constantly in prayer. I looked up the word constantly. It means all the time, right? <laughs> they just prayed a lot, man. They prayed a lot together. Mm. This is weeks after the Last Supper, and they're just praying away as a group, asking God to send the Holy Spirit, send the Holy Spirit, because we want the revolution to start. We want the revolution to start, so send the Holy Spirit. Here's just a thought. Prayer reveals your desire. What can you pray for for weeks and be more excited to keep praying for? I think very often our prayer failure is really a desire failure. We just don't want things enough. What do you want so much? What do you hope for so much that you're not going to stop? I'm not going to stop. You don't even, listen, I didn't even understand this until I had kids. And once you have kids, you go, God, I need, I need these kids to love Jesus. I need, I'm not going to stop asking until it's true. And when it's true, I'm going to keep praying because I know that love for Jesus is fragile. And I can't live if they don't. What do you want so much that you, that you keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back? Maybe it's a family member who doesn't know Christ. Prayer reveals your desire. Can you keep asking or do you run out of want? Maybe it's a dream, that just a vision you feel like God's put in you to do something. Well, can you keep asking until you see that dream, a reality in front of you? Maybe it's a relationship that you want to be pure and it, it staying pure. And you keep asking. Keep coming, I want this to be right and pure. A sin that you desire, to, whatever it is. Prayer reveals desire. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I don't want anything that much, then your prayer should be, God, won't you help me to want things the way you want them? Won't you help me? Here's the last one. Prayer starts the revolution. Say it with me. Prayer starts the revolution. Acts chapter 2. Now remember, they've been praying for the Holy Spirit. This is when it shows up. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Guess what they were doing? Praying. Because they were always praying. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a band of like 120 people, roughly, changed by God, unleashed the power of God through prayer. And God used them mightily. The Holy Spirit showed up. The church was born. The revolution began. And I just kind of want to end talking with you as a, as a ministry, not as a person, as a ministry. I, I hope this is true, 
Never let, listen, oh man, if, I hope you catch this. Never let this ministry become church as usual. Do you know what I mean, church as usual? Just show up, go to church, hear the thing, fill in the blanks, go to dinner, do it again, maybe join a small group, I serve. But, enough, but God never showed up. But nothing real happened. I just did the thing, did the dance, get the hug, do the next thing, right? Listen, if God doesn't show up, nothing happens. Nothing happened. If God doesn't show up, nothing happened. I've begged God for you that this would be a place where people enter into relationship with God, where they start talking to God. God starts talking to them. They become aware of his presence and obedience breaks out in this place. That's what a relationship with God is. Where, where God is changing your life to be more like Christ. As a ministry, you draw near and become like Christ. As a ministry, can you imagine what this ministry would be if you guys began to pray together that God would unleash the power of God? Oh man, that would be so huge. And it all begins with prayer. I'm gonna pray for you and we'll be done. I thought they're gonna come up and we're gonna sing a worship song. Uh, so Father, I pray for... Uh, these students that are here, I pray for the, these, the, this uh, ministry, God, that I, I, what I asked for at the beginning, what I've been asking for all day, that you would do, that you would create a discontent in the room for where we're at spiritually, for me, for all of them, just a discontent, I don't like where I'm at. Won't you do that in each of us? And then, God, won't you inspire us? Use what I said. Use Holy Spirit. Begin talking uh, to them. Won't you inspire them, Father, to a deeper relationship with you? They're leaving so much. Lord, we know we're leaving a lot on the table by not praying more. Won't you stir us, invite us, grow this desire within us? And then, God, I pray for everyone in this room that they would have a clear next step. The scripture says, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. I pray that even in this worship song, even in this night, that there would be a collective. Lord, we're not singing a song. We're begging to be near you. We want to be near you. And as we draw near you, God, won't you come near us and make us more like Christ? Teach us to pray. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.